Hey there, Gary Pretty here, pastor of Your Rock Hall Church. And I just want to thank you for joining us online. We asked, why is my pastor on a, in a boat out the river? Uh, and that's because we've been studying Noah. Uh, and the, the book of Genesis, first 11 chapters, this series we're in, the beginning. And uh, Noah's just gotten off the boat. And that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to get out of my boat. So, um, hey, I'm glad you joined us here for today. Uh, and while you're getting logged in, go ahead and say hello to some people in the chat or in the comments, and and you can uh, find some good resources in the in today's worship program. Uh, there's a, a study guide there. There's a, a reading plan there that you can take your, our study of Genesis a little further, a little deeper, uh, a little richer. So as you uh, get into God's Word on your own. So uh, hey, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, remember, this is your time to worship. So. When we pray, you pray, and when we sing, you sing, and when we read scripture, read along with us and get your Bible out and mark it up, uh, just like we do. So, uh, yeah, make this yours. This is yours, all right? God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started.
And all will see how great, how great is our So good morning as we uh, as we prepare to get started here today uh, I just want to welcome you and thank you for, for being a part of our worship uh, I want to remind you that as we continue in our study of uh, Genesis uh, that we're also praying through uh, this uh, our many people in our churches are, are involved in a in conversations about merging our churches our minute bring our ministries together in a more intentional way so uh, we just want to cover that whole process in prayer and ask God to speak to them and, and speak to you uh, so this week in our in our prayer guide, we've been we've been focused on praying for a transformation that we would become a transforming church that that we would see our community begin to be transformed that that our lives would be transformed that we'd become more generous that we'd become more mission oriented in serving our community in, in risky ways uh, that that we that we that we just we try new things that we that we would be changed uh, inside and out. Uh, that new people would come to Christ and new people would begin to grow in their faith and in their relationship to Jesus and that we would grow as well. So I invite you, if you would, to join me in our prayer uh, this morning for this process and all everything else that's going on in our nation. Uh, it's a hard time. So uh, let's pray together, would you? Thank you. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in our midst, Lord. Not just in our church, but in churches all across your, your world. Uh, Lord, you're bringing people closer to you. Father, I thank you for that. I ask you, God, that you would lead, guide, and direct our steps as we seek to be more intentional in our in our living out our faith here in our community, God. Help us to be agents of change. Help us to see transformation in, in our lives, in our community. God, that as we're changed by your Holy Spirit, that we would begin to affect those around us, Lord. Let us see what you're what you're doing and how you're using us, Father. I thank you for that, Lord. Continue to lead our churches uh, as we submit to you and what it is that you want to do. Not our will, but yours alone, Father. We love you. We praise you for it all. Thank you, Father. Lord, we lift up to you our nation uh, as we continue to, to wrestle through a, a political season. God, I um, ask you to just give people confidence in, in your leadership, Lord. I, I ask that your people... Christians who claim the name of Jesus, God, would stand up and stand out, would, would, would profess Christ, Lord, that we would preach the gospel, and that we would vote, that we'd be involved in the, our world, God, that, that, that you're not a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, you are all about love, 
Lord, help us to, while we're going to have different opinions and and how to bring about uh, change in our in our community in our world. Lord, we ask that you would lead us, God, that you'd give us a sense of charity to to love each other uh, in spite of differing opinions. Father, we lift to you our president uh, and his wife and all others who are sick with this virus. God, we ask for your healing hand that our that it would be run out of our nation. As we seek you, God, that you would heal our land. Lord, that we know you're good and we know you're doing something. God, just draw us close to you. Draw us close to you so that we might be involved in your plan. We love you and we praise you, Father. Amen. Amen. Let's continue in worship. All right. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us as we uh, continue our study of Genesis, uh, the first 11 chapters. And in those chapters, we find the, the beginning of all of history is all right there. The beginning of life, uh, creation, uh, love, joy, sin, forgiveness, redemption, salvation. It's all right there in those first chapters of the book of Genesis. And I just, uh, as we studied this, uh, last week we found Noah getting off the ark. And the first thing he did when he got off the ark was to stop and to worship God, uh, to, to make an offering to the Lord and, and to praise Him right there on the spot. And it was after a year on this boat. That was the first. His first instinct was to worship God. It was 
was kind of shocking a little bit because I mean I think uh, if I were to spend a year in a boat with a bunch of animals, uh, first my first instinct would probably be to burn the boat. <laughs> I mean honestly, um, but that wasn't his. His first instinct was to, to make us an offering to God. And yeah, I, I, as I think I'm sitting here around this marsh, and this marsh is a low tide, and, and boy, it's smelling bad. And, and I have to, but it, it pales in comparison to how that boat Noah was on smelled, I'm sure. So this uh, gives me a, a hope, you know, as we see creation being reset in the flood, uh, that, that Noah, Noah's first instinct was to worship. I praise God for that. Thank you for joining us today. I just, my name's Gary Pretty, and uh, if you saw any of the presidential debate this week, you know it was like an episode of Jerry Springer. Now, you may not know who Jerry Springer is, but but it, he ran a reality TV talk show where, I don't even know if it's still on or not, but but he invited people on who had they'd had affairs, or they'd taken advantage of somebody, they had ridiculous relationships, where all they do is argue, and eventually somebody would pick up a chair to hit the other person with it. I mean, they were the most dysfunctional relationships. And we know that dysfunctional relationships, they're like NASCAR races. I mean, we love to watch them. Because, hey, they always wind up in a crash. Today's text from Genesis is a family story that's right off of Jerry Springer. It's set up by a great story of salvation and a promise, and a promise in spite of rebellion. And that's how it works on the show, as I remember. It always began with this, this picture that gave you a little hope. Last week, we saw Noah get off the ark and, after a year, nine months of the flood, followed by three months of waiting for God to call him out, Noah is called out, him and all the animals, come out. And he does. And his first move is to worship God, praising him for the salvation. When God's faithful to save us, we worship. And I know this is the way it was for me when I came to Christ. When I felt that God had changed me, all I wanted to do was worship him, to praise him, to spend time with him, to walk with him. I imagine that's exactly how Noah felt. And God noticed. Scripture tells us. And that leads us to where we find ourselves in our text today in chapter 9. That, that we find a, a deeper discussion of this covenant relationship. And it also gives us a little bit of a glimpse of the life and the family of Noah as they live into this covenant relationship. That's what we find in, in, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. But first... What is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is simply an agreement between, between two parties or two or more parties. So think of it as a contract or a treaty. Each party has things that they are responsible for, obligations, as it were. We think an agreement like this oftentimes is, is something that gets negotiated. But with God, remember, God is sovereign. He alone is God. He alone gets to judge. Several years ago, I sold a business and... When I did, I, I got to negotiate the terms of the deal. I mean, we agreed on the terms and then signed the papers. Years later, the buyer came to me and wanted to change the terms of the deal, to renegotiate. I, I said no. 
we don't get to negotiate or even to renegotiate covenants with God. God offers himself to us in a covenant relationship, and we can accept it or we can reject it. I mean, this is amazing because God has already recognized that the heart of man is a problem. Remember chapter 6, verse 5? Flip back to it. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. And that hadn't changed. The flood, the destruction of creation, had not changed the heart of man. But the flood and Noah's reaction to it does seem to have brought a change in the way God deals with us, as we see laid out in the rest of the Bible. Genesis 8.21 says, The Lord smelled a pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done before. God offers himself into a covenant agreement with humanity. Again, now let's look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Flip there in your Bible. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on a beast of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Do you see that? The first thing that God does is bless Noah's son to be, sons to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It sounds just like the words used back in Genesis chapter 2. You see, creation is getting a fresh start, a new start. But things are different this time. But in this restart, man still has dominion over the animals. But creation, its design is broken, remember? So God institutes a division between creation and man based on fear that, that actually serves to protect man. God gives animals a fear. Man who has authority over them, which without this would be at risk of being destroyed by nature. Again, I mean, not a flood, but by carnivores, bears and tigers and lions. Can, can you imagine the world if we were the hunted rather than the hunter? I mean, God's plan for us is, was to have dominion over creation. And now that the creation was broken, that the curse from Adam, right? God moved to protect humanity again from the punishment brought about for the rebellion. This time by inspiring fear in the animals. This fear was part of a great blessing. Blessing that we find in verse 3. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat from its lifeblood stolen. We get permission to eat meat. Amen. This is a reason to celebrate right here. Up until this point, they were given fruit and veggies, right? Now, we get to love a good salad. I love a good salad. And I love that my wife will load up on it and leave me more steak. In fact, we should have more vegetarians. More steak for the rest of us is the way I see it, right? <laughs> That's my point of view. And you're entitled to your opinion too. God here says, not only do you have dominion over creation, but it is now all of it is food for you. Except, God says, we have to respect life. That's the blood. Blood is to be guarded because life is so valuable. And they understood that life, blood is the key. Life is special. Even in the animals that you have dominion over, life is precious. 
course we know that because we get so attached to those things we call pets. Some of us treat them like they're a member of the family. I mean, it's hunting season, and I'm a hunter. And, and you can talk to anybody who hunts a lot, and they will tell you that hunting forces you to develop an appreciation for life. We respect it. While we have dominion over creation, that dominion is limited by the sanctity of life, which God will model in this covenant here in chapter 9. And if the lifeblood of animals calls us to, bring, to use caution, the blood of men and women is even more demanding of our respect. If we are to remain in alignment with God in his, this new relationship. Look at it in verse 5 and 6 there of chapter 9. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds blood, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. I mean, for many, these verses have been understood to give permission to practice capital punishment in response to murder, right? In fact, later in the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy, this passage is cited, right? That if an animal it takes the life of a human, its life is demanded. If you, if you take the life of an innocent, someone else is going to take your life. In the context of a covenant, it's a promise. If you, if you read it this way, God has ordained a punishment for murder. But that's not the only way that Christians have faithfully read this text. The others see it as completely the opposite. They read it as a cycle. A kills B. You can expect that C is going to get revenge for what A did to B. I mean, a cycle of revenge and death and murder ensues. All the while, it is God alone who has authority to demand an accounting for each of his image bearers. Which one's right? Which is it? Is it, is it God alone or is it capital punishment is allowable? Is there any justification for taking a life? And a lot of questions for us to work out. Faithful Christians come to different conclusions here. But one thing is for sure. God values life, all life, and wants us to do so as well. Choosing life is not a matter of convenience or a matter for debate. Christians, I believe, are called to defend all life, especially, but not limited to, the innocent. I mean, I hate to get political here, but... This applies to infants in the womb as, as much as it does immigrants at the border. It applies to convicts on death row as much as it does to the infirmed at the end of life. We are to value life, period, because every life is an image bearer of God. You see the covenant laid out here in these next verses that, that even just develop this even more. Genesis, verse 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that, has, that was with you, the birds of the livestock, all the animals, all, the, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the covenant. This is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Wherever, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all the life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. 
So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on the earth. This is the covenant. Never again. Never again. I mean, we don't know if there had been rainbows before. But what we do know is that from this point forwards, the rainbow is a sign of a promise. Of a promise of a covenant relationship where God promises not to bring destruction by flood. Now, I'm, I'm not sure how the rainbow got co-opted by the LGBTQ community, but, but for the, a Christian, it is a reminder of God's grace. It's not a celebration of who we are. It's a reminder to be thankful that God is who God is. Even when I'm as sinful as I am, even when you're as sinful as you are, even when we live in rebellion, the rainbow tells us that God is graceful, that he has promised to never again destroy creation because of our sinfulness. God says, I won't give them what they deserve because of my promise. Now, remember I said at the beginning that when God is faithful, we worship. When God is faithful to save us from destruction, we worship Him. But also remember, when God is faithful to not destroy us, sadly, we ignore Him. I mean, that's how I see the use of the rainbow, to say, I'm perfect just like I am because I say so. I mean, that's the condition of the human heart. That, that heart that didn't change with the flood, the only thing that changed was God's way of dealing with us that we see played out in the rest of the Scriptures. That's why God being faithful is so amazing to me. It should lead us to praise Him every time we see that rainbow in the sky. Instead, we see Noah and his sons get bored with God's faithfulness. We see rebellion in Genesis 18-29 to in response to this covenant. Look there in your Bible with me as we begin to look at life under this new covenant with God. But first, let me, let me remind you what all is happening here. Remember that Noah is not writing this. This isn't Noah right recording this. It's been recorded for several hundred years, written down. These stories of life and creation have been passed down from generation to generation. Actually, while the people who lived it are still around because they lived so long, right? Noah was around a long time to tell these stories to his children, his grandchildren, his great, 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 great grandchildren. You can hear it. He probably got tired of hearing, tell me that story again, Grandpa. But after many, many years and many, many times of telling, a man whose name isn't even in the book of Genesis is called to write it all down for the people of Israel. Moses. Moses records all of this while he leads the Israelites through the desert so that the people of God will know their relationship with the God of creation. And now, as we'll see these Israelites, they've had kinds of, all kinds of problems with, with various nations all around them. Still up to this very day, I mean, seriously. One of those nations has been the Canaanites. And we'll talk about these folks more later. But, but Moses is writing down their history. And in the history, he records the source of their problem with the Canaanites. And it goes back to the family of Noah, this Jerry Springer family. I mean, that's been a common thread so far. All of these problems trace their history back to families, whether it's Adam's family or Cain or whoever. This goes to show the importance of, of leading our families well, handling conflict, addressing sin, forgiving one another, treating our family with respect. Look what happened as they begin to live under this covenant. Now, I have to say, that when we think of Noah, we usually think of how we, we saw him last week, right? The one who walks with the Lord. We, we think of Noah as a man of great faith, of faith to build a huge ship while living like a thousand miles from the ocean. 
faith to work for like 50 years building something that no one had built before. Noah walked with God, but he wasn't perfect. God is faithful. We are not. And that may be a word of encouragement for some of us. I mean, you can walk with the Lord not live and not live a perfect life. But, but what it means to walk with the Lord is that, is that when you walk with Him, you, you're, you're better able to recognize God at work in the events of your life and better able to know when you're out of step with God. Look at verses 18 to 21. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of the wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. He grew some grapes, he figured out how to make wine, and he got drunk. Now, now we as Methodists, we have a history of with, with alcohol. In fact, it was the Methodists, particularly the Methodist women, who, who led the temperance societies back of the, uh, in the 19, early 1900s that eventually would get alcohol outlawed between 1920 and, I believe, 1933 here in the United States. This wasn't always the position of the church, though. Early monks were known to be brewmasters, right? It was a way to make sure that they had something trustworthy to drink. The church, beer and wine were an integral part of the church for years. But there came a time when alcohol became less a source of reliable fluids and became more of a means to drunkenness. And Methodists have long held that the holiness that God calls us to does not include alcohol. In fact, since alcohol and drugs brought nothing good into our lives, clergy have taught since the beginning of Methodism that they were best left out of the life of the faithful. I mean, it's hard to argue this against this when you look at Noah's life. The Bible doesn't forbid consumption of alcohol, but it does clearly teach that drunkenness is a sin and foolishness. But for those who, who do or have been known to drink, you know as well as I do that it's hard to know when to stop. And that's what Noah, Noah ran into. So here we have Noah getting drunk, strips down naked, and passes out in his bed. Noah's sin getting drunk. And as we will see, sin has consequences. When we sin, things happen. Sometimes our sin puts in motion things that, that we would never want to happen, but they happen anyway. We seemed out of control. Told you this sounds like a Jerry Springer episode. Well, some of you may not have believed me, but here's where it starts to get weird in verse 22. Now, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. I mean, the words saw his nakedness is a phrase in Hebrew that, that holds a lot of innuendo, right? It, this is, there's much debate on what exactly is going on here. I mean, but it is, it is agreed by Hebrew scholars that, that this refers to some sort of sexual sin. I mean, that's how the phrase is used in other places in Scripture, after all. Some think that, that saw his nakedness, right, refers to Ham seeing or, or maybe even having sex with his mother, his mother being his father's nakedness, right? Others have said it was referred to as Ham doing something sexual with his dad while he was passed out, homosexuality of, of some sort. Others have said it was, it was Noah. It was actually Noah who was the one doing something, and Ham walked in and caught him and watched. We don't know exactly what it is that's going on here. What we do know is how his brothers responded when they heard about it. Verse 23 tells us. See, 
Shem and Japheth. They took a garment and laid it across their shoulders when they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Again, now, we don't know what Ham did, but we do know he didn't show his father the sort of honor that his brothers did. I mean, they walked in backwards, holding a robe up over their head, right, to block the view. Eventually, Noah woke up, and in his hangover, he does what people often do in their hangover. They curse someone. He curses the generations to follow Ham. He says, in verse, starting in verse 25, that the, the son of Ham make Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed. And may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Now, from what I've studied, this curse of Noah wasn't a curse like a curse from God. But what Noah was doing was saying, what you did to me will affect everything from now on. It'll become a curse for your son, Canaan. In the same way that, that God's curse on Cain became a reality in the lives of Lamech, as we talked about a few weeks ago. See, from this point on, Ham's son would be in conflict with his family. It came as a direct result of Ham's lack of respect and honor for his father, Noah. Well, that would explain why the Israelites, the ancestors of Shem, had such problems with the Canaanites. I mean, all the, and all the other tribes of Ham's ancestors, actually. This event explains a few other things to us, too. Like, how our lack of honor for our Heavenly Father has ramifications for generations for us. It's not a generational curse as though God is mandating bad to happen to my children, but it is a generational curse because it tends to come naturally. I mean, God is faithful, even when we're not. I, I heard a man in prison one time tell me uh, that, that outlawing was his family's business, that he had inherited it. Well, we all inherit a tendency to dishonor our Heavenly Father. I mean, we learned it right from the beginning. And that's what we in the church need to understand and remember. While we may have grown up in a church, we, we still have a heart like Noah. Only by the grace of God are we being changed. And, but not everyone grew up going to church. Not everyone grew up knowing Jesus. In fact, many grew up in homes and lifestyles that were dishonoring to God, their Heavenly Father. Families where drunkenness was the norm, where sex was not to be reserved for husband and wife, but was used for power and control, where selfishness and pride were the standard, not humility and sacrifice. I mean, that might be hard for many of us to understand that a life like that. But I want to be real with you for a moment here. If we are to have a prayer reaching the next generation, reaching the lost around us, we need to start getting patient with people who grew up with a life very different from our own. The reality is that we may have a have to be a little we may be a little too comfortable with our salvation. We may be starting to walk around like Noah. I think I'll learn about a gra making grapes. I remember my dad talking about it. Before you know it, we're squishing them and fermenting them, and who knows what comes next for us. Noah didn't. I assure you of that. Our salvation is a gift. Seeing God at work in the lives of our neighbors is a gift. For us not to just 
take this precious thing of life and forget it. God is faithful, even when we aren't. The question for today is, how do you respond to that news? I pray that it draws you to faithfulness today. God is faithful, even when we aren't. Let's praise Him. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your mercy, God. We thank You for that You always provide a way for us, for those You love. Lord, You promise not to destroy. You promise to give life and hope. We praise You for that, Lord. Help us to move beyond ourselves and move into a deeper relationship with You, God. For those who are in this world, who, who see their life as a, as a Jerry Springer episode, Lord, who have who've come to see that, that life doesn't always make sense. Father, I pray that they will see You as the one who saves life, the one who, who has made a way. God, help us to see you with fresh perspective. Help us who have, who have come to faith, God, who have lived a life in a relationship with you. Don't take that relationship for granted, Lord, but we begin to treasure it again. God, inspire in us a fresh love for our first love. Stir us up to love and good works with our friends and our neighbors, Lord we might tell them about the only one who's made a difference in our heart and our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for changing lives today. Thank you for speaking to us right where we are. We needed it. You give we needed everything. Life. We love you, Lord. You Thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you. you bring Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in worship today. Now, before we leave, I just want to invite you to join us in our benediction, this one we use week in and week out. It's a good reminder of way for us to live. Now, read it with me. Life is, it's right here. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me, no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in His grace, and His love, and His power. Amen. God bless you all. Have a fantastic day. I hope to see you soon, all right? One last word. Uh, we are gathering. We're planning to move back indoors for worship on October the 18th. October the 18th, uh, we're planning to move back indoors for worship. Please stay tuned to our website and uh, on our email list uh, to make sure you stay updated to all that's going on. There's a lot changing right now, all right? God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Remember, Jesus loves you and so does your rock culture. Uh,